Welcome to It Is Written Canada. Thank you for joining us. Our special guest on It Is Written Canada today is Jerry Scheel, who's become a friend of ours. And he lived on the streets from when he was a teenager. He kept getting into trouble with the law because of drugs and violence. And that meant that he ended up in and out of jail. Then Jerry hit it big time, working as a model in Los Angeles and Dallas. But God had other plans for his life. Jerry, we are so excited to hear your intriguing story. Thank you so much for joining us on It Is Written Canada today. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure, Mike and Renee, to see you again. It's a, it's a gift. Thank you. So, Jerry, I wanted you to take us back to those early years. You grew up in a big family in Ontario. How did the experience you had then influence the choices that you made? Yes. First of all, I'd like to say a couple of things is that this is a testimony of Jesus, of his grace and what can happen when you exercise your freedom of choice. And uh, Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The other thing is, is that what I'm gonna be sharing is, is just a point of reference, not a place of res residence and I no longer live there. Praise God for that. The other thing is, is that um, when I'm going to be sharing about our folks, mom and dad, they did the best that they could with the tools that they had. And I thank them very much for it. Um, as a youngster, I'm fourth of nine, six girls and three boys. And when I was about a year old, uh, uh, my mom had a nervous breakdown and uh, our family was split up with other members of the church. And then when she became uh, out of the hospital, she, uh, we all got back together again in a family. And uh, also, actually before I was born, my older sister Mary said, the next boy we have, let's call him Moses. And that's how I got my legal middle name is Moses. So, this was a tough time for you. You ended up living with some church family for a while. Then you came back home. Uh, where would you go when you go, went through tough times? Well, Dad was a firm believer in corporal punishment. Uh, he came from an uh, Orthodox background. Then he became Seventh-day Adventist. And uh, so the law was very important to him. And uh, so whenever I would do something uh, that was serious, it was uh, a lecture of God, then the strap. So I started association, associating um, God with discipline and pain. And also when I'd see my older sisters get disciplined, it really caused confusion in me because I was associating God with uh, with uh, punishment and pain. And uh, that would hurt, uh, it was very confusing. And I would go down by the river, my spot by the river, I'd just sit there, sometimes fish, or, but I sometimes just sit there and just could be by myself. And actually in a lot of pain. And I can recall when dad would be giving me the discipline that I'd be thinking, uh, Dad, 
I don't want to hear any more about God. I just want you to get to know what I'm going through, what my, what's going on in my mind. And I, I, I wish I, might have, I could have said it to him. Uh, at that early age, I started to lie a lot because I didn't know how to deal with conflict. I think that's probably one of the reasons why. I just start lying, lying and stealing. Uh, again, I, even though Dad believed in corporal punishment, never do I ever recall on the farm when the equipment broke down or not enough rain or whatever that he even raised his voice at us because of that. It's just that he just believed in that one thing. And that's that punishment. But he had a good, kind heart too, though. So then, Jerry, your dad's strictness really um, affected your picture of God. Yes. Yes, it really, it really did. And um, just as some mean old character up in the sky. So what about outside of the home? How were you influenced, like at school? Uh, at church? Well, I failed grade one and I failed grade two. And I, I can recall uh, having a parent, teacher, uh, student get together. I think it was in grade two. And um, the teacher just said to my parents while I was present that your son is backward. And so in other words, something's wrong with me. I'm retarded or whatever it was. And my self-esteem was very low, very, very low. I can recall also that uh, I'd always get the lowest marks in the class. And I, at that time, they had, with a red marker, it'd be a happy face if you did well. And it'd be a crying face if you just squeaked in. And a, I, I mean a sad face if you just squeaked in. And a crying face if you failed. And I recall that whenever I got a sad face, I, th I thought I struck gold because most of the time it was a crying face. So that's what I associated with, right? Also with the teacher back then, uh, one teacher would, whoever had the lowest mark in the class would put the, their mark up on the doorway. So when you go in and out of the classroom, everybody would see it. And guess whose mark would be on there? So as a youngster, I would take it out in violence in the, in the schoolyard. So it did affect me a lot. Um, uh, age eight, I was uh, in trouble with the police with, uh, at that time. Um, if you didn't have a stamp, you just put a nickel on it. You would tape it onto the... You'd tape it onto the envelope. And uh, well, I found that out at eight years old. So I was out stealing mail. I didn't know how serious that was. But I had all this mail stacked and they didn't know where all the mail was going. But we had like a crawl space in our house and I had all the mail stacked there and I was collecting the money. And I got in trouble with the police. So it was my first time in trouble with the police. And uh, at church, I was offering plate. I can recall times when the offering plate would go by, I'd steal money off the offering plate and. Dad would catch me, then get home on Sabbath and get the strap for it, tell about God, then the strap. I never recalled Dad asking me what was going through my head or anything. And I really didn't know myself. I knew it was wrong, but I would be stealing. And uh, uh, when they'd have like, uh, stand up and do your memory verses. Oh man, 
I'd just be sweating under the arms. It was just agony to be in talk and to go in front of anybody because I couldn't remember it. I didn't know at that time that I had dyslexia. And uh, I just thought I was dumb, you know, and it was tough. And uh, about the age of 12 in that area, uh, an older youth at church, uh, from church uh, came on to me sexually. And then uh, it was an older female. So that was my two experiences sexually. And it really threw me sort of for a loop uh, mentally. And, and that, I, then I start getting into pornography at that time. So Jerry, how did all those experiences affect your life? Well, when I was uh, young, uh, I would sneak out from the farm and head into town and hang out with people at nighttime. And those guys were actually people who were hurting too. And, and it wanted a sense of belonging. And we started a street gang. And I also that I got more involved and more promiscuous with women. Just that, uh, that pain that was in my life and got more involved into the drugs and, and, and drinking. It sounds like you were drifting further and further from your parental home. Yes, uh, around 16 is when I left. Now, I, I wasn't kicked out. I left. I, I knew the rules, but I chose to leave. And uh, from there, I start uh, just living on the streets, um, in old cars, uh, hallways, bathrooms, laundromats, uh, wherever I could find a place to stay. Mm, we're uh, living in Canada, so it's pretty cold out there. Yeah, and you know, the sad thing is, too, is, is that I, I meet, a, uh, meet some women, you know, and I know I could get fed, so I'd spend time with them, okay? Then I'd get fed, then leave the next day. So that was the other way of being on the streets in that whole scene. Mm. What about food? Well, food. Well, I can recall times of in Dairy Bar in Port Dover, Ontario, sitting down with other people and I didn't have any money. And I would uh, get ask for a cup of hot water and get ketchup and I'd make my ketchup soup. You know what the sad thing is, is that I, I never panhandled from people, but I stole from them. And what was going through my mind at that time is that I had such a fear, insecure, and I had such a fear of rejection that if I asked somebody for something, I'd, if they said no, that would really hurt. And but I, in my mind, I just stole. Sad, but that's what I did. So, Jerry, while you were away from home, did your parents or anyone in your family ever come looking for you? Yes, I, I was in Kitchener, and uh, I don't know how they found me. My uh, my dad and my brother came and. Uh, I, we went to the car and I was sitting in the back of the car and I remember uh, dad uh, giving food and I was, when I was having the food, uh, dad just turned around and very kindly said to me, he says, would you like to come home? And you know, a part of me wanted to go, you know, be a bit, uh, but there's an addiction on the street too, um, that lifestyle. And also, I. Uh, I didn't want to go home because I didn't want any more about religion. So I said no. And I know, I remember, I can see my dad's face, the pain that was there when I said no.
to come home yet. So what happened after you told your dad, no, I'm not coming home? Well, I continued to live on the streets um, wherever I could stay. And um, the more into the drugs, into the crime life, and I uh, got charged for, um, you know, for a break and enter. So I got a year in jail for that. Then I was dealing in drugs and I got four months for that. Then a drug dealing partner I had, he did something that he shouldn't have done. And I did something I shouldn't have done. Got a home invasion. And um, I, so I end up uh, staying in the London County Jail for seven months. And when I was there, I, I, the characters that were there were pretty heavy dudes, you know. And the one individual I, I became closer with and I just knew that I was going deeper than what I should have been going deep into. So I, since all my charges were dealt with, I could be transferred, so I just asked the warden, I just said, hey, you know what, I'm starting to lose my mind here. You know, can I start going to do my time? And he said, yes, so they transferred me to the jail to where I was to go. So God was working in your life as well because you just about lost your life one day. Yes, it was. Uh, I, when I was in Port Dover, there's a boat called the Letha B. And I, I was on the streets at that time. And you could, they had bunks in there. So I was stay, sleeping on the Letha B and I was working on the Letha B. And I don't know exactly what happened, but I didn't come to work. And um, when I did come back, I went to a little restaurant where the fishermen hang out. And Loppie Colson, one of the fishermen, came up and said, Shields, did you hear what happened? I said, no. And he said, you know what? You didn't come. And uh, Dale got his brother, Wayne, and the boat capsized this morning, and both of them drowned. And I think about it that Wayne was a stand-up guy my age, and he dies. And it should have been me working on that boat. But it reminds me of how Christ stood in for us, an innocent person. And uh, it was pretty tough at that time. 
So, um, Jerry, did you ever settle down and get a steady job? Well, I made my way out to, after getting out of jail, I made my way out to uh, Victoria. Uh, I was in about 20 some years old and uh, sweeping floors and construction sites and uh, working as a bouncer in a gay bar and you know all these different places, right? Uh, just jobs, whatever I could get. And I, I, one day I was at, at, at a mall and a lady approached me and she said, have you ever thought of modeling? And I said, no. And she says, well, my husband and I, we have an agency and we can uh, give you work. And I didn't want to pay. She says, no, we'll train you. So they trained me and I did my first show out of Victoria. And uh, from there, um, I left and I went to Los Angeles. Hmm. What was that like, living in Los Angeles, Hollywood? Well, you know, as, a, as I say, it's a crazy time, 1977. And, you know, the other sad thing is, too, is, is that I was, uh, I was hurting at that time also. And I, I was actually thinking, I'm going to go to Hollywood, Beverly Hills. I'm going to find some rich woman. That's what actually I was thinking, survival. And I was there not too long. And I end up with, a, I got a personal manager and did the training. And, but all that time I was just, uh, you know, into the drug scene, um, uh, in the music scene with musicians. And I'd be sent out to a, a TV show, actually the Jeffersons, to read. They wanted a male model in this, this part. And I, I, could, I had the script, I couldn't remember the lines. And uh, again, I didn't know that I was dealing with this dyslexia. But all that time, I was just hurting, hurting in my, uh, in my life. And also, I had a, a friend of mine, um, she worked for head of promotions for RCA Records, so she'd go to these functions, and they were like big parties. And I, she asked me what if I'd chaperone her. And I said, sure, and she was a photographer, for, professional photographer also. So it was a platonic friendship, and I'd just go to these parties and just watch out for her. She'd go and mingle with the people she'd need to mingle with, and I'd stay back, and she'd motion for me, and I'd come in and and just sort of uh, let her let them know that I was we were together. So Jerry, now you're doing modeling. Did that boost your self-esteem a little? It, yes, it, it did, but it was it was phony. It was a phony lifestyle, and uh, I was phony. And uh, but tell you the truth, I was more interested and the drugs and the partying and hanging out with people than I was with, uh, with that. It was a phony life, a hurting life. Jerry, did you stay in Los Angeles then? No, what I did is I sent my headshot out to Kim Dawson Agency in Dallas and she said, come on out. So I went to Dallas and uh, I was getting work there fairly quickly, uh, but at the same time dealing with a eating disorder, even in Los Angeles. I'd eat and um, like on a waiting for between shots or whatever, there'd be food there and I'd be just eating donuts, maybe 12 donuts and pecan pie and then just go until my stomach ate and then go back out and throw up and just come back over and do it again. But the amazing thing is, is, is that, that feeling that pain was better than feeling nothing at all at that time. So, Jerry, were you aware that God was working on your heart at all during this time? Um, I don't know if I was aware of that he was or not, but I knew my parents were praying for me. 
But uh, one day when I was in, in Dallas, I was at the YMCA and this sort of rugged look at character, a little older than myself, he just said to me, so he introduced himself, asked me what I, what I did, you know, and I made it sound pretty good. And I said, what about you? And he goes, well, I used to ride the rodeo. And the Lord called me out of it, and I'm studying for the ministry. And it was a first personal testimony, very brief, but this guy was real. And he was going to the Baptist church. He invited me to go to Baptist church a few times, so I went a few times with him. And, um, but uh, one day I was going by this farmer's market, and it was closed, and I picked up this watermelon. I stole a watermelon. I didn't need to. I had money. I stole this watermelon, still a hold on me, and I uh, went and shared it with this guy. I didn't tell him I stole it, but I went and shared it with him. With him. And it was sometime after that, it was, um, I had a roommate. She was actually a, a platonic roommate. She was an officer, police officer at Dallas Police Force, and her and I would get high together. And uh, one day I would be, uh, before my appointment, uh, with an appointment with an advertising agency, uh, I had my portfolio in my hand and I was going down and I was early and I was sitting beside this river and I like rivers and I had this in my hand and sitting there and having all that pain in my life and I remember uh, calling out to God and I don't know the exact words but I knew it was a surrender and asking for a change in my life. And I had a peace, hard to describe, but it was a peace that I got. And I've been on many drugs and experiences, but it wasn't like that. It wasn't a feeling, it was an awareness. And I remember sitting there and um, having that peace. And I, I said something in the line of, what now? And it was not an audible voice, but it was, uh, do you know that watermelon that you took. It wasn't condemning either. And I'm going, yes, like this. And I felt something on my shoulder. It was warm. Felt something on my shoulder. And it was like a little nudge. Let's go make it right. Totally different than uh, being charged or getting a strap or you're going to go to hell or whatever it is. You know, let's go make it right. It was teamwork. And I'm going, yeah, I made a commitment then. Had the appointment with the advertising agency. And, and I, was, I, was, I was going to uh, see this farmer market, whoever who it was. I had this battle going on in my mind. was like, oh, it's just a minor thing. Don't worry about that. And there was the other awareness I was getting. No, no, it's okay. I'm with you. So I was going through that struggle. And there was a bit of fear building up. Because I've never said I was sorry to anybody before. And I went to this person who, my memory is long hair, as long as yours, Renee. And I said, hey man, I took a watermelon off your truck and I'm here to make it right. And he said something, he goes, so, he said something line of, um, why are you doing this? He says, I've never had anybody, I've had stuff taken off this truck, but I've never had anybody come and make it right. And do you know what? I shared with him a short personal testimony. That's the only testimony I had is that what happened by the crick. And I shared what God had done for me and the Lord put it on my heart to come and see you and make it right. My first time ever apologizing to somebody, first time I ever made restitution. 
Jerry, did you ever start going to church then? Well, besides going to the, the church a couple times with that cowboy, uh, one day I was uh, out for a walk. It was towards the evening time. It was after a little bit of rain. And it was in Dallas. And I, I remember seeing this magazine on the ground, asphalt. And I looked at it and it was a little baby crawling up the flight of stairs. And on the top was signs of the times. I remember seeing that at home. Not that magazine, but the Signs of Time magazine. And I flipped it over. And it was the uh, address of the Dallas Seventh-day Adventist Church. And I took that and I started going to the Dallas Seventh-day Adventist Church. And that's when I was baptized there. And the peace that was feeling, uh, uh, experiencing was just total peace from before. And uh, I knew I was on the right track. Also at that time, I was really thinking of what I should be doing. You know, do I stay in this? Because my heart was being changed that, um, I, that I wasn't as interested in, in doing that work anymore. So what I did is I start praying, I start praying for a sign of what I should be doing if I should be going back to Canada or staying here. So Jerry, you prayed for a sign, whether or not you should stay in or leave the modeling industry, but we've run out of time. So you're gonna to have to share that with us next week. Can you do that? Sure, it will do, be a pleasure. So Jerry, before we end our program today, I wonder if I could ask you to please pray for us. A pleasure, pleasure. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to say, Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and thank you for the precious gift of salvation. Lord, thank you for um, uh, giving us that freedom of choice, no matter what the cost was. Lord, and we also thank you that when we stumble and fall, and sometimes even intentionally stumble, that you don't stand there with size 13 steel-toed boots to grind us into the ground, but it's your love that draws us to repentance. So Lord, we thank you for that. And I'd just like to share if anybody watching this is going through some struggles in life, God is calling you to come home. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, our free offer today unveils true stories that will change your life. It is entitled, The Invitation. The Invitation is a very powerful book containing true stories of people who were destroyed by circumstances and rebuilt by God's love. This is our free offer for you today. We want you to experience the truth that is found in the words of Jesus when he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to watch a video of this podcast, please visit iiw.ca or you can go to our IIW Canada YouTube channel and click on the videos tab. Once again, thank you so much for listening.